0: Tracy Noonan, one of my old coaches we met when I think I was 14, maybe Uh, a long time ago. I'd
1: have to pull up the, you know, the records and I'm sure we could dig it out if you needed it, but yeah, that's
0: right. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm pumped. Tracy is an awesome coach, mentor, and someone I've known for a really long time. And I, I know a lot of people have learned a lot from, so I'm excited to have her on. I'll start with, Trace, if you could give some of your, just background, a little refresher, and then um, we'll jump into it. Um,
1: well, grew up in Massachusetts, um, came down to school at University of North Carolina, and it was a bit of an uproad or uphill battle for me here at UNC. I was not um, highly recruited. I was a walk-on, we'd love to have you type of <laughs> recruit. Got in on my own, and then, then all of a sudden I was of interest and um, didn't quite realize what that meant. <laughs> Back in that time period that wasn't really, you know, the priority recruit, but didn't matter to me, Um, came in and um, like I said, it was eye opening and it took me some time to fight my way into playing time took me three years in fact to overcome some things and and work my way into time but um, that experience definitely shaped uh, me as a player and that's, you know, mainly why I came down here to UNC was to be challenged and to be in this environment that I was going to be tested. And I definitely got that and then some, (laughs) Um, but I loved the environment, loved my teammates um, and fell in love with Chapel Hill. It's a wonderful place. And so consequently, I've never left. Um, And after I graduated, I got called in with the national team, Um, you know, I think it was I Graduated December of '95 and got called into a training camp in December. And I was like, "Well, well, let's see how long this lasts." Original plan was physical therapy school. Was going through all my um, applications for all that uh, for PT school and got called in with the national team prior to the '96 Olympics. And was in residency with them. And uh, it lasted a lot longer than I expected it to. <laughs> so I was on the national team from '96 through uh, and well, early 2000 was my stint with the national team. So that was an amazing experience and. Growth for me as a player and person. Um, and then when I was cut from the national team, luckily I saw kind of on the, the radar that the Women's Professional League was coming up in 2001. So I kind of just had a bit of a gap here where uh, I just kind of filled the void with some coaching and I kept myself training, kept myself ready. And in 2001, the uh, WSA um, was, was born, our first Pro League. And um, I played up at Boston with the Boston Breakers for three seasons. Had a bit. Of, you know, my first season was was super solid. Um, that was my best season. And the two seasons after that, I was coming, you know, back from different knee injuries, so I wasn't. I was um, battling to get back in the rotation. It was tough because I wasn't um, physically at my peak anymore with the different knee knee injuries that I was managing. The League folded in 2003. And didn't there was nothing else kind of um, on the forefront. And if you weren't in the national team circuit, there really weren't too many opportunities to play. There were a few things abroad, but it certainly wasn't what it is today uh, as far as opportunities to play abroad and to be able to make a living. Um, so at that point, um, I retired. Uh, my body was kind of pushing me that way as well. Um, so reluctantly, I listened to my body and retired. Ended up transitioning into coaching uh, for lack of necessarily um, knowing what else to do. So it wasn't necessarily a natural transition. It was well, I guess I need to do something. A head coaching position came available um, in Greensboro College, local D3. That was about an hour from me. It was a relatively um, good place for me to start and kind of get gain some experience. Um, and I immediately went to a bunch of my coaching schools and tried to get up to, up to speed with you know being a head coach. I'd not been in a head coaching position ever. Um, I'd done some volunteer assistant type stuff uh, as a goalkeeper coach, but this was a whole whole new thing, a lot of t- whole new show, yeah. lots of
0: so, so much to balance as a head coach. So many things that I didn't realize that existed.
1: Yeah. And at a D3 level, even more so. Um, so you don't have uh, someone that's washing your equipment. That that was me. Uh, you don't have somebody that's lining your fields. That was myself and our men's head coach that would flip-flops. That he was the one that taught me how to line a field. Uh, the things that you take for granted as a player that just <laughs> automatically are there when you yeah. show up on a line of field. Yeah. So all of those bits and pieces Um. you know, in my mind it was managing the stuff on the field and obviously my budget and recruiting. It wasn't all this other stuff that, you know, at the D one level and the professional level and the national team level, you have a whole staff that is in place to manage all those different pieces. Uh, at D three, you are the head coach, the assistant coach, the equipment manager, the field yeah. Maintenance crew, you do all of them. Uh, in addition, you're given ancillary roles, and so I was in charge of compliance, uh, and I was in charge of home game event management. Um, so different, different, Congrats. you know, things within the department. But all of them were great in my growth, and I had a wonderful AD, and the co-coaches of the other sports sports that were there at Greensboro College were also just fantastic people, um, and um, especially, you know. Uh, the men's soccer coach was somebody that I knew uh, from the area. And so he was really good at mentoring me and helping me kind of get my bearings on different things uh, within the school and to get me up to speed on the the non-soccer side of things. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I spent two years there at Greensboro college um, and then it uh, became apparent to me that it wasn't really the right fit for me as far as I didn't find it as fulfilling as I had hoped it would be um, coaching at the collegiate level um, as far as for my personality type and what I valued in coaching. And so for me, what I get the most fulfillment out of is the relationships formed with my students. Uh, It isn't about the wins and losses, not about the accolades. To me, it's seeing a player grow and develop as a person, you know, Um, and, you know, obviously doing well as a player, love that, but, um, it's those relationships. And it's a harder to do that when you're the head coach and you're deciding who starts and who doesn't. <laughs> and, and all those bits and pieces uh, and all the drama and making sure, especially at the college level, making sure the kids aren't going out and partying and drinking and driving. And there's all this other stuff that you're managing, which are certainly important pieces of their growth as a human being. Um, but it wasn't, I found that I wasn't doing as much development and coaching. That I wanted to do, um, so that's what kind of initiated the transition for me. And so I decided to find to found um, Dynasty Goalkeeping, which is my current company, and you know where I got to got to know you, basically just to kind of establish something that was like what I had as a as a uh, young player. I I came up through Soccer Plus, um, and I had great mentorship with unbelievable female role models, uh, and you know, and Soccer Plus kind of shifted. Through their years, uh, mainly because a lot of these pro players, when I was a young player, you know, in the 80s, um, was when I would have been going, 80, yeah, in, mainly in the 80s, pro players in the US didn't necessarily have a lot of training environments, you know, on the men's side, and there was no pro on the women's side. So these collegiate women um, that were kind of on the forefront and, you know, these national team women, they would come to Tony's camp to work his camp to get the training. And they would train like mad uh with the demonstrations for us as students, um jumping in with us and training with students, and in between sessions. And so I had Mary Harvey, you know, the 1991 Women's World Cup goalkeeper, as one of my staff coaches, Kim Wyant, again a women's national team goalkeeper back in the day. Kim Maslin, another one that was a women's national team goalkeeper. Um Carla Chin, Canadian national team, with, you know, goalkeeper. So I had four strong female role models when I was 13, 14, 15, 16. In my like key years, uh, I had some very strong female goalkeeper role models. Um, and it was not just seeing them like on the goalkeeping aspect of things, but to really understand like the mentality piece that it took to compete with men and not be intimidated and the fierceness that they trained with. Uh, it was palpable to me. Um, so that made a big impact on my development as a player. And that was something that I wanted to be able to give back and provide, um, to my students. And so that was kind of, I think at the heart of forming dynasty goalkeeping, because that wasn't something that was necessarily there in the market anymore. Uh, Like I said, things had shifted soccer plus still existed, but their business model had shifted, um, with the, you know, with the market as it has to. Um, and so I figured I would kind of enter into the market with a different product. Um, and so my camp has always been shaped around being small and intimate so that you can have that relationship with your players. Um, so we are at 12 students max per week. Uh, we have four staff coaches now. And so the ratio of three to one is untouched. You don't get that in your college camp environments or ID camps are not about development. Nowhere. like Nowhere. Yeah. So it's it's a very different business model, but that was critical for me because I knew I had to create something different because I wasn't going to go against the reputation of Soccer Plus. Uh, One, I respected Tony and what he has built because I, you know, was a director for him and, you know, student of his. So I very much valued their program and still, you know, encourage students to go there. Um, So I wanted to create something that was different. Um, And and that was, you know, where I kind of came in, you know, into the marketplace with a different product. Um, And so now I'm entering into my 17th year. Um, Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty... That's pretty fun. So that's my long intro. Sorry.
0: No, that was <laughs> awesome. I feel like I knew some of it, but not all of it. So that was nice to hear as well. Perfect. Yeah, um, I know. And I was thinking about that when, when you said about having dominant female role models. Like, I think your camp was the first camp I had that, too, where I went to Soccer Plus. Like, I've coached there. I've, you know, like worked it. I've been a camper. There was a lot of men which was yeah. fun to train with. Um, yeah,
1: I agree, too. I love yeah, that about Soccer yeah. Plus as a player and a staff coach. So it was totally awesome. agree.
0: But it was, I think, like, the intimate setting of Dynasty, and you have kids, like, people come back who are, like, Ping. I always think of Ping. Like, people <laughs> Ping,
1: who... Ma- Ping, a.k.a. Megan Kinneman, who's yeah. now an assistant coach at Rice University. So it's shout out to Ping, but that's how we badass,
0: all know. Like, oh, she yeah. was so awesome, and Still is so awesome. And it was was nice to have, as a younger athlete, someone to look up to who is not 6'5", right? Like, people who are, like, normal height, small, have these, like, incredible personalities and just absolute monsters on the field was, it was nice to be able to see someone like that and they're you know, professional on and off the field. When you go to soccer camp, usually you just go to soccer camp, but (laughs) Dynasty is, like, soccer camp. But also, you learn how to take care of yourself, take care of your equipment, teammates, all of it. So it was, yeah, it was awesome. Really good experience. Thanks.
1: It's it's really neat for me to hear what what my students value from that experience. And it's so much more than the stuff that's on the field. You know, I had a, certainly I had that vision a bit on the front end, that it was going to be more about development, you know, because right from the start, we were in the weight room. We were in the pool with recovery sessions. We were doing nutrition lectures. We we're driving over to Whole Foods to get that whole experience. So that's always been a part since day one, but I don't think I appreciated as much how much value that is to my students and the mentality lectures. I think that's a piece that is a massive piece. Totally.
0: But, um, yeah. I mean, um, I would like go into pre I remember because I went... I guess I went before like multiple years before I was like, even committed to school, and so for me going into preseason, like your camps were harder than preseason, so I was like, well, <laughs> I love hearing that because like, it like, means you're prepared. I'm fine, like yeah. oh my, I mean I would always get nervous going to preseason, of course, but I right. was never nervous for the load. I was always nervous just because I'm like, oh, I want to play, I want to see the tone when I, right. oh my gosh, but I was always like, no, this is this is nothing.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's rare that students have that experience ever to feel like they physically and mentally are getting stretched to where it's uncomfortable. Um, but the nice part, you know, within Dynasty is that it's, yeah, it's uncomfortable for sure. Um, but you're all in this environment together. And so there's this great, like you said, camaraderie and team bonding of the 12, you know, girls and women that are in camp plus the staff um, that we're all in it together. And that's the piece that I also love. I super cherish that piece. I mean, at the end of, for an example, at the end of this year, um, our pro week, which is our college students, uh, for those that are listening, you know, I'm not aware, like you are, <laughs> our pro week is all college students. And so at the end of this week, and granted, they're, you know, 99% of these students are repeat students once they've made it into the pro week, the week they all told me, oh, we're, we're all heading out to lunch. We've all decided, like, they've just spent like five oh, days together. That's so awesome. You know? bonding and whatnot and like eating every meal together. And then they're they're set free from the week and they're all, you know, usually all go your separate ways. But no, they all want to spend more time together <laughs> and go out to lunch together. And they still have their own group chat um, where they support and they check in on each other throughout the college season. And I absolutely love that. And that is actually to me where I came up with the name of dynasty is it is it's this, it's this family, it's this tradition, it's this culture of you know, taking care of each other. Um, and so that, you know, sums it up to me. And that is what fills my heart. That's, that's why I do what I do.
0: I mean, I still follow people that I was at camps with on Instagram or like, yeah. it's, it's so awesome to see people who are still playing or who are having kids. And yeah, it was like such a good experience. And then even every summer, my favorite thing is when the camps come in and it's, we have like the competitions, like the picking the team names. all Oh yeah. Like it's my favorite. I love it. Everyone still loves it. There's
1: no chance that I could ever get rid of that. No, you can't. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, it is for sure. And, and you know, you have to do your, your dance and your celebration with whatever your animal is. Yeah. (laughs) These things have grown a life of their own within our camp environment. And I love it.
0: Never in any other situation have I been around, 12 goalkeepers you know i mean like we're a little different so it's nice because you get along with everyone for the most part right it's just fun so
1: yeah I think it's also rare that you're in an environment uh with 12 other female goalkeepers and you're not fighting for time yes and so it does so you know, so there is no like it's competitive but it's not competitive i'm gonna start you're not gonna start mm. so it doesn't get catty it's yeah. actually super encouraging and positive and uh it's
0: I love it. You're never like cutthroat with it. No, everyone's just, just excited is on for line. each
1: other and celebrating.
0: Well, yeah that? So just when a point is on the line. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, we'll fight for points
0: for sure. Of course. <laughs> I wanted to circle back to the end of your professional career. Obviously, the league folded, but and you were dealing with injuries. But how that affected you? Because it wasn't necessarily planned. Now looking mm-hmm. back, it's like thank goodness, because. Now you have this awesome company and camp environment, but yeah, how that affected you? I wasn't prepared.
1: I wasn't, you know, looking back, you know, during the time when I was playing, I wasn't thinking about what the next step's gonna be when I retire. Uh, even when I was managing injuries, uh, I, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about, you know, will I go back to physical therapy school? Will I get into coaching? I mean, I was always coaching. I will say that, I mean, I was always coaching every summer, whether it was soccer plus UNC camps, individual local stuff that I was running on my own, you know, I did some goalkeeper coaching over at UNC Greensboro. Like So even throughout my playing career, I was constantly coaching. So subtly I was doing all this preparation without my knowing that led the you know, that built this massive foundation of coaching for what I do right now. Um, But it wasn't, necessarily intentional it was a survival tactic you know so when you're playing on the national team and we were not on salary back then uh, when I joined the national team 96 97 98 we were just being paid per diem and there might be some bonuses if you made a roster um, or if you were at a big event uh, and your residency your expenses were covered but we were not getting paid not, not a cent, not until 99, were we under a uh, contract and, and uh, had a salary. So that's when things shifted. So yeah. So when I was not in the national team, I was coaching to make a living, but it wasn't necessarily like a long-term plan. Yeah. It was, it was a survival plan because you couldn't have a normal nine to five job because at any point you could get called in for a training camp and it would be like, you're gone for two weeks you know, or we're going into residency for six months. So you can't have a standard job. I think it was even hard for a lot of the players, teammates of mine that were college coaches, they had to have very understanding staff, you know, or be second assistants or volunteer assistants. Like Carla Overbeck was a volunteer assistant and still is at Duke because she had the flexibility to be able to leave in that type of position. Uh, And the head coaches were always super understanding, but not, not everyone is that understanding when you're gapping and leaving for different instance of time so that's kind of you know what i was doing like i said in the background but I, I didn't have a plan i didn't have anyone mentoring me i think that would have been major uh i think i do we starting to do a little bit more with that with the players association i think with the nwso with helping players to understand like that there will be a transition at some point um, and that you know you need to start doing some career planning So for me, what that could have looked like was I could have been taking my coaching courses while I was playing. Uh, I didn't take my coaching courses until I got, you know, my first tech coaching position. And I was like, um, I'm going to take a coaching course now. (laughs) Within my first year of coaching, I knocked out, I think, two or three of my coaching courses. Uh, It was different back then. I actually got, I think I got lucky. I started with my NS, uh, what is now the United Soccer Coaches, Um, used to be the NSEA. So I started with my, um, my national. And um, since I did fine at that and did well at that, they were, you know, you usually have to wait a year before you can take your next one. they allowed me to come in at six months so that I could get up to speed quickly um, before I got into my first season.
0: first
1: I need to get up to speed. So I got, I think two of those knocked out before my first season because um, the off season in D three is very low key um you can't touch your players very very frequently um so that helped to get my you know my national my advance and then I think I started in with my I think because of my playing career I was able to start with my B license okay. um, if I remember correctly on the U.S. soccer side so I completed my B and then you have to wait a year on that one um and then I completed my A and then I went back and did my premier badge um with uh NSEA or now the United Soccer Coaches So, you know, so I hit all my different badges, um, or coaching licenses, uh, within the first probably three years, you know, three, four years of coaching. Um, because I found that they were important and that was actually a great education process for me. And I know a lot of coaches these days, especially women don't, you know, don't, don't head into these environments. One, it's a bit intimidating because it's a male-dominated environment, although it's shifting. There are a lot more females than there used to be. Um, and I know United Soccer Coaches is a lot more sensitive to that. Um, and I think that they're a lot more user-friendly. And that's how my, I have I've always found them. I mean, I liked both environments, but I, I think it is a lot easier for females to get in on the United Soccer Coaches side and feel more comfortable um, coaching and getting, gaining some experience there. Um, and it also helped me develop this really nice um, network. Um, so now, you know, I will still get people that, you know, will tell me that, you know, we went to a coaching course together, you know, and then they know my name from coaching courses and they'll refer students into me because they're coaching at a club level, at a youth yeah. level. Um, and so, to, yeah. yeah, so that network, I think it was tremendous and it helped me a lot with getting more comfortable as a head coach and not just like my world of goalkeeping and the defense that's my safety zone <laughs> that's what we're used to seeing what we know yeah but the midfield was a little bit vague for me and that was not my strength uh, <laughs> so that helped yeah um so th- I would say that that you know the transition going to the coaching courses was a major thing that helped me with my transition yeah. yeah
0: thank you for sharing that I was actually thinking about how uh the coaching at and- you know, at a university helped with now when you get kids and they're like, oh, I, I want to do this or I want to go here. And you're able to, what do you want out of your experience? This is what you can get. Like you can kind of speak to it as a coach and as a player, which I think is pretty unique.
1: From my experiences as being a college coach. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> and it, it helped me a lot to learn the dynamics of, rec- of recruiting as well. And obviously yeah. uh, my former husband is a college coach too and just to see kind of the recruiting dynamic from the college coach perspective has helped me a lot to be able to mentor my students from their perspective yeah. of what is actually going on
0: behind the scenes yeah when I was looking at schools and my club coach didn't one of them he I mean he didn't play he didn't coach college and I don't even think he played in college either and so for him it was kind of hard to speak to it he did a great job but it was nice being able to talk to someone like I had a couple coaches who coached in college and then speak with you. And it's just, I think makes a difference when you're working with kids now to um, just helping them sort out, oh, that might not be what you want. Like you should look towards these type of schools if that's what you want. More academic, more athletic. Right.
1: I think that's also one of the parts of, of our camp environment that is unique. Not only, you know, so there's my experiences um in helping mentor you know in the individual meetings that we have at the end of the week you know that's always a big piece it's like where do you think i can play you know or and everyone wants to play at like you know nowadays it's the florida states stanford santa clara you know unc like it's a bigger pool of like top teams um everyone wants to play at those big environments and so you know that that can be hard you know to kind of bring expectations to a more realistic level for some students um But I think it's a message that they need to hear. Like you said, a lot of their mom and dad aren't going to know. Mom and dad don't have that perspective. And it's not a fair message for mom and dad to necessarily deliver to their kid. You know, that's, you know, they want their kid to go after their dream. Uh, And I don't want to be a dream crusher. But I also want to, you know, to help students, like you said, find their way in a gentle way. Because otherwise, you're going to just be set up for disappointment. Um, And so somebody has to help kind of steer them broaden their picture of what they're looking at totally yeah
0: yeah i agree it's definitely nice yeah. to be realistic it's like yeah and i think also our
1: staff you know the variety of the um, the staff coaches that we have because i will have staff coaches that have played d1 d2 d3 you yeah. know every you know spectrum and i think that's super important for my students to go oh wow staff coach that i've had you know two staff coaches that come to mind right now that have been in, in place uh, for multiple years um, Emma Emma Hill, who's up in um, Salisbury, uh, is a D3 kid, and she did not start her first year. She was behind another Dynasty kid, fought her way into time, and then, you know, became a starter there, um, and has now had, like, her COVID year. Uh, but she's been a staff coach, and she has come from select into elite, into pro. She's come through all the programs uh, within Dynasty and has become a staff coach, and now these students are going... She's really good, and she's playing D three. So D three isn't like just for really the kids that can't make it at D one, you know. And I think that's unfortunately where D three gets a bad rap, and D two. And another staff coach of mine, uh, Gina, Gina Ryan, who played at UNC Pembroke, you know, and a top D two program uh, in this area, and now she's, you know, becoming an accountant. You know, to see their transition, and these are students that could have played, you know, at D one schools, but chose for different reasons. Academically, socially, financially, whatever, wanted to play for four years mm-hmm. uh, and not be on the bench behind someone else, uh, and have had great careers um, athletically, academically, socially, and are now in great transitions. Uh, and Emma's gonna be off into a strength and conditioning coach um, soon. So it's that those pieces, I think having staff coaches that have some variety. Um, you know, you've got me and my expectations of like UNC and playing professionally and national team, and that's really untouchable. I mean, yes, I get it. That's the dream for all of us. Um, are not necessarily all of us, but a lot. Um, but then, you know, seeing other staff coaches that are, you know, rightly really solid goalkeepers and amazing people that are great role models. Uh, so I think that is important.
0: I always loved meeting the staff coaches that would come in because there's usually one person that was consistent. Or like in and out, like I would see them usually every summer, but then yeah. there was always one person too who would come in and I was like, oh my gosh, like another person would get to watch. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Changing gears, but I know now you bike quite a bit, you're outside, you hike. What are some hobbies that you started to fall into or learn when you were done playing?
1: <laughs> yeah, some things that people would not expect uh, of me <laughs> uh, for sure. Gardening, I'm huge into gardening. Uh, natural transition out of like where I was going with my health and my eating um, was you know, plant some of my own food, and wow, I can make I can make my own food and it tastes really good. <laughs> I think it actually started from going to farmers markets, and then like oh well, I can just plant some things. And I had some neighbors that had planted some basil, and so I started kind of simple, and it just now I have this massive garden in my backyard, and I love making pasta sauces and pestos and jams and like i've got fruit trees and blueberry bushes and every year there's something new that gets planted um so yeah so i love my garden so that's probably something that a lot of people would not expect um this like hardcore badass little people that i love to be in the garden (laughs)
0: literally i remember the first time i met you you were in the gym like doing some insane bike workout and i was like oh my gosh i don't know if i'm in the right place <laughs> i don't know if i'm quite as capable of doing all that insanity anymore but
1: i do my best i do my best for my age um i do still love being on my bike um but i do need to you know diversify with my hobbies so that i'm not beating up on my body all the time so the other two are beekeeping so i'm now into my third year third year oh, i think i'm heading into my fourth year um uh, yeah this will be my fourth season as a beekeeper Wow. so, so far so good i haven't uh my original hives are still going because a lot of people as new beekeepers you know there's a lot of things that can go wrong and you can lose your bees Um, uh, so I've in my first three seasons the first season your goal is to keep your hive alive or your hives i have two hives so make it to the first year let them build up you don't harvest honey uh the second year if you're lucky you might get to harvest honey i have harvested a pretty strong harvest in my second year and a pretty not a good strong one in my in my third year wow so, yeah the honey is delicious
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, are they just in your backyard? Yeah. That's
1: so, awesome. you so that that has been a, a really cool diversion. Lots to learn. But um, how so did you like what that. was
0: like the I'm gonna be a beekeeper? Let me get some <laughs>
1: bees. Um,
0: bees you just it's kind of it, a
1: little bit came off of gardening because you know, yeah. like there's always been in the news this stuff that you know the the bees are struggling. Um and actually it's a bit of a misnomer. Bumble, um, sorry uh pollinators yes and bumblebees and there are all kinds of bees we always think about just honeybees honeybees are not in decline honeybees are actually doing okay because there's a ton of backyard beekeepers uh, and everyone has jumped on board of like save the bees which is great (laughs) so honeybees are doing okay um and because of you need honeybees for pollination of all these massive crops like almonds and apples and blueberries and whatnot so there are commercial beekeepers for the honeybees but our typical other pollinators that people forget about like bumblebees and there's a lot of wasps and butterflies and that type of stuff those definitely are in massive decline um so we do have a need for taking care of pollinators so to me it kind of came from that planting certain things in my yard to help butterflies and bees Mm. uh and help my garden to have more pollinators um and i love honey so (laughs) i was like you know what and it's just something that's going to stimulate my brain so i just i you know, I learned a little bit more that you could just take a course and there's a local beekeeping club and joined it and went to the club and was like, you know, what? let's give this a try. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but it does increase the pollinators. Like pollinate, it's very, not just the bees in my yard. There has been way more other pollinators that like insects that I never saw in my yard before that I'm seeing in my yard now. So my yard to me is more alive. And yeah. that's just cool and fun that's to sweet. see yeah just different wildflowers that I have planted and things that have attracted more pollinators
0: yeah when so that was the second and then what was the third you said my third thing is that I like to make wooden spoons
1: I'm a little bit of woodworking you <laughs> whittle yeah that one's a new one
0: you're a whittler a whittler, a whittler. <laughs> yes exactly that's awesome <laughs> you the right word <laughs> Someone, so one of my friends does that and she makes like spoons forks she worked at um some some
1: some, some forks that that would be a good challenge for me I haven't I haven't done forks she did like a
0: like an outdoor camping set uh, and like a spatula that was yeah so wow Yeah, yeah I just um I
1: think it's that that one started because um I had some wooden spoons from Africa that I liked and just something about like I like the feel of them in my mouth metal in my mouth with all my fillings that reacts and not not <laughs> necessarily always like hearing the clang of the metal on <laughs> the bowl and it's just like softer gentle uh and so you know um ex-husband again uh was into um woodworking and so <laughs> that helped and it was something that I actually loved in, in high school and uh, not high school middle school we had shop oh. I don't do those things anymore we had no shop I class. wish we did I loved it. I love being creative. Um, and I think you know, so that's the other part that it soothes my creative side of my brain. I can just get out there and make cool things. Um, so yeah, I, I, I liked it back in middle school. Um, and so it's just something that I get to go out and, um, I'm completely com- consumed it in the moment. And so for me, it's this great way of unplugging and it's like gardening. It's a bit meditative and I think we all need that type of stuff. And I can't always have that when I'm on my bike.
0: And I was going to say it's awesome that your hobbies are, are something so different than, like, the physical exertion that you would usually do that, like, you're so used to. You know, it's something that's stimulating for you learned how to do beekeeping. You go back to something whittling spoons or whittling woodworking. You loved when you were a kid, but you found it again. That's awesome. Yeah. I need to be better about that. I feel like all my hobbies are outdoor well, at your age, mine
1: were too. Yeah. <laughs> so take advantage of it while your body can, because you'll have plenty of time later. Would be my advice when your body is slowing down. Yeah. uh No, I mean, I was doing very similar to what what you are when I was that age. You know, if I wasn't in with the national team, you know, I was getting together with my siblings and good friends to do a lot of backcountry hiking. I loved doing the backcountry stuff and putting it all on the on the back and yep. being gone for you know three four days out in the in the backcountry. I loved that. I missed that like crazy. Um and what else snowboarding was massive. I'm trying to get yes. back on my board maybe this winter. Yeah, that's what I picked um, up. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. Yes.
1: Get out there and explore when your body can can go after it.
0: Yeah, no, it's been fun. It's like you feel so it's such a humbling experience, just the mountains, and you realize how small you are in comparison to nature.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say the only other thing that would be um but the other thing that I'm just thinking about while we're talking that I have had the opportunity to do that was massive for me as far as my development as a person is my ability to get involved with some non um, nonprofits and do some volunteer work in different okay. parts of the world outside of, I mean, obviously whether it's local or abroad, it doesn't really matter. You're making an impact. So uh, I just was fortunate to have uh, a good friend that I founded a organization called Coaches Across Continents um, and he invited me to do some work in Tanzania um, so that was back in 2010 and you know spent two weeks volunteering there and a, a week just kind of exploring in that area and life-changing for yeah. sure life-changing and then that I was able to kind of get involved in some other organizations through the national team um, pairing you know former pros and current pros with opportunities through the state department the U.S. state department to go and do some other volunteer work uh, in other countries and so those moments when I've had those opportunities to do that type of volunteer work, um, again, are just great ways for me to step back out of what I do and get massive, massive amounts of perspective,
0: yeah. um, which I
1: have grown a ton from each of those experiences. I would mm-hmm. highly encourage people when you have that opportunity to tra- to travel and volunteer to truly get you know, a sense of the communities of the places that you go to. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's major. It's life changing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's awesome. yeah I, I need to do more of that. It's good. And one. I didn't, you know, and I, in fairness, I didn't
1: do hardly any charitable work when I was in high school. I look at some of my students right now that are so involved in their community and I love it. Yeah. Uh, I was not that student growing up uh, at all. It wasn't really encouraged. I mean, I was involved with um, National Honor Society. So I think we did a blood drive or helped out. <laughs> so it was like the most minimal volunteer yeah. work that I could do that was expected of me from these organizations that I was part of, um, I wasn't out there grabbing opportunities and setting up opportunities on my own. Uh, and then in college, you know, we might've done one or two little things as part of the team. Um, and then with the national team, you know, stuff would be again, structured for us. Like we're going to go visit a children's hospital and, you know, cheer up the kids for the day, you know? And so there was stuff that we would do outreach projects or grassroots type coaching type environments, but, Again, it wasn't anything that I was proactively getting out there on my own. Uh, I do more of that now. Uh, like I said, you know, the stuff that I do outside the country is, um, there are organizations that have been fortunate enough to be kind of pulled into. Um, but then locally, you know, I'll do a little bit more on my own. I you know, went to a local wildlife refuge <laughs> to try and help out a little bit there. I've gone to a local goat farm to help out during like the when they're having their goats calving and uh, help out at the local high school with the coaching there, you know, so I've, I've tried a little bit more um, to do some stuff here in the local community. That's not, uh, that's a little bit different. And I pick things that I'm interested in. I don't think that's, you know, I like goats, <laughs> goats when their babies are like, cute so, as I think. cute so to me it's like a win-win I get to be around baby goats and I get to help the local farmer, yeah. you know? Uh, so I don't think that when we go and volunteer that it has to be miserable. Yeah, it can be a win-win it should be fun for the person that's giving their time Uh, why not
0: that's awesome so coming towards the end of the conversation but I was kind of curious about if you could give yourself advice right when you were finishing up what would you say
1: right before I was finishing up I think it would have been to be more open to using your time when you're not on the field to developing a plan of transition, uh, and obviously it would have been helpful had I had, you know, within our pro team, you know, or with the, we didn't have a players association back then, but or you know, with like I said, within the pro team, if there was somebody that was helping career development, that would have been major. And I, like I said, I think that's a lot more happening nowadays um, to helping st- um, players to understand that that career is not going to last forever. And what are you doing to prepare yourself for that transition? So um, I definitely like my GM or other people within the the organization could have been encouraging me to go take my coaching courses and and to see, uh, or just to even sit down with different people to decide what I wanted to do. I just didn't even know, you know, do you want to get back into physical therapy? You know, I had a great, you know, undergraduate degree, you know, and so that that could have been a transition to go back into that. Um, but I didn't, you know, have anyone to sit and chat with about that and to have a strategy. Yeah. And I see players nowadays, and I really am impressed by players that are taking advantage of their time. I have students that are in college that are taking their coaching courses. Uh, I believe Megan Kinnaman was one of those, um, that while she was in college, uh, or maybe I might been right after she got out of college and was playing professional, um, she was taking some of her coaching courses while she was playing so that she was prepared to make that transition and to make herself stand out a little bit more than everybody else that you're going to be competing with on the job market. You know, I was a bit fortunate with my resume having been a Carolina player and been on the national team that some doors are going to open that wouldn't open for your average, you know, female coach. Uh, So I relied a lot upon my playing resume that not everybody has, you know, if you don't have that, you really have to work a little bit harder to make sure you are developing your network um, yeah. and developing your resume. Um, so yeah, I think that's
0: important. That's a great one. Yeah, I totally agree. I think taking advantage of that, I mean, it's just hard to think about when you're in it. Oh, it's going to be over. You know, it's yeah. Over. No, I didn't want to, I didn't want to at all.
1: It was always about,
0: for me, it was very short-sighted.
1: It was always yeah. about what can I be doing and what should I be doing today so that I'm recovered for tomorrow so that tomorrow when I show up to training that I'm ready to go hard again. And we have a game coming up this weekend. What's my taper? How hard can I go? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too little? Am I doing the right things? Eating wise, everything was about preparing my body to perform. It was never beyond that, you know, that week of training, that week's game and that season. Uh, Yeah. So that my sight was always on performing as an athlete. Yeah. I think that when I look at some of these uh, players, that are playing professionally now or on the national team. Um, I'm trying to think uh, of her name, Rachel, say it's Rachel Bueller that played on the national team. I'm hoping I'm picking the right name that went on to med med school, you know, and was taking while she was playing with the national team was keeping up with all of what she needed to do to take her MCATs and whatnot to get into med school. Um, And so that she didn't lose, even though she was, took a gap, from when she went, you know, her undergraduate to getting into med school to play professionally, she maintained and had a plan and was keeping herself active academically and intellectually so that she could still get back into medical school and just, didn't just, like, leave it. I, like, left all my, you know, background. So it would have been harder for me to go back into school because I wasn't doing anything along those lines. Yeah. I wasn't keeping up with my, my, you know, any of that type of curriculum. Uh, And so at that point I had graduated from 95 and gone eight years. It would have been hard to go an eight year gap to go back into school. It would be like starting over again. I think, you know, you do have to have a bit of a plan to have a better, to have more success
0: Yeah, not leave it. it. Mine
1: mine was a bit left a chance and that's worked out. um, And I think I've followed my passion and I've kind of bounced around a little bit, but now I've settled into what fuels me and feeds my soul. Some would call it luck, but I also think it was a bit of, finding what felt right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and steering myself towards what felt right
0: it's awesome that you're still working and like love what you do every day you know yeah I
1: mean there's certainly parts of it that are not as fun you know when I'm sitting at my computer typing evaluations all fall (laughs) (laughs) you know it's good for my body because I'm not you know killing or crushing my body but it gets a bit monotonous at times um but actually what I love about my job is there are seasons you know, so you know, the summer is super demanding physically, but I get so much energy out of my staff and my students from being on the field. And I absolutely, that for sure fuels me in mm-hmm. massive ways. And I just the moment that I step in front of my students, whether it's here locally at a session or in the summer, I love that. Yeah. And it, it's pure joy to me. Um, so, yeah, that is what I love um, about what I do. And even now when I'm doing Zoom calls and chatting with you or chatting with other students and just to reconnect that that
0: fuels me yeah
1: yeah that's
0: for awesome. sure yeah um okay last question <laughs> what is your walkout song <laughs> so my walkout song
1: um right now the song that i would say that i'm listening to on like the instagram stuff or whatever youtube you name it pandora spotify pick your pick your uh, your app that I like uh, is I am a woman by Emmy Melly. So good. Yeah, just a really strong, powerful message about like owning who you are and being comfortable in your own skin um, and that you are worthy and you are valued. Uh, and it's a message that I think is super relevant for us in our culture um, with you know everybody posting how perfect they are on Instagram. You know that no none of us are that perfect none of our worlds are that great um and so it's a tough it's tough when I see my students that are coming up in this world of social media it is there are some much different challenges than there were when I was growing up your image and your comparing yourself to other people and, and all of that sort of stuff so but I mean I, I in fairness I deal with it too you know like just feeling worthy and valued we all deal with that uh, different cycles of our life um yeah. so yeah so I re- that resonates a lot with me right now I love that I'm gonna listen to that once we're done the other part that's interesting to me that I'm thinking about what this like I am woman song that I kind of find interesting in my development personally is I remember having this moment I don't even know what year it was probably early on with dynasty and you would know on our field, we have that little slight berm, that slight hill that we filmed from in the evenings and the evening games. And I think I remember at one point, just like standing up there, prepping the cameras The group was like warming up staff coaches are down there getting things set up, athletic trainers over there doing her thing. And I just looked out on the field and I was like, damn, this is amazing. Like you have formed this. I had this moment of like huge pride of like I didn't envision that this whole thing would, you don't have that vision, like you hope, but to just look out there and go, This is all strong females out there. Our athletic trainer, our staff coaches, and granted, don't get me wrong, I'll hire male staff coaches. I will hire male athletic trainers. They they all bring good value to me. Um, But when I look out and I see this whole field full of strong female, um, I never considered myself a feminist. And when I had that moment of looking out there, I was, you know, like I said, I, I loved going to Soccer Plus. I loved being around the boys. I loved training with the guys. I still do. But it was this epiphany for me of like how important it is for us to have these environments as females where we can be strong and when we can you know develop more leaders um, more female leaders and so that was a really cool like I said epiphany in a moment and that's kind of I guess what this song a little bit embodies to me too it's like it is important for us as women to own our womanhood
0: yeah. yeah yeah I mean I'm sure it was so moving like looking out and it was like this is the vision I yeah. wanted and it's in front of me now and I this but it was greater than I
1: had ever visioned. That, that was the part yeah. that was, I think, powerful to me. Like I hadn't envisioned it to have like that much of an impact. Yeah. You know, it was developing something and it just grew and became even more impactful than I could have envisioned. And so I think that was the part that was just so powerful and a That's lot right. of pride and yeah. So that, that part I love about what we have formed. And to me, it is we, because it isn't just, you know, me, it's my staff coaches, it's my students. I'm always getting feedback, and shaping, and shifting, based on everything, because without my staff, and my students, I'd have nothing, so it's a we.
0: Well, thank you so much, I appreciate you sharing, I mean, there's things that I didn't know, and it was awesome to hear alongside, so kind of get a little glimpse of why Dynasty is the way it is, and like, how my experience comes from what you've experienced as well, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's super fun for me to
1: a little bit kind of go back and, and reminisce and to be able to have this opportunity to, to share this with your listeners. Yay.